0: Cheer, oh All right, so... As you know, U.S. stocks tumbling the most in a month, joining really a global equity sell-off sparked by concern Italy's political woes will destabilize Europe. Let's get into this, this with uh, Mark Grant. He's chief global strategist at B. Riley FBR. He's also a Bloomberg Profit, which is uh, their professionals offering thoughts on the financial markets and, and a lot more. They also may have a stake in what they are writing about. Uh, Mark back with us. He joins us uh, on the phone from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Hello,
1: Carol. Hello,
0: Mr. Grant. <laughs> How
1: are
0: you? <laughs> I am well. Nice to have you here with. Jason and myself. So you. uh, what's your what's your take on this? First of all, Italy on its own and what it might mean more broadly to Europe.
2: Yeah, I think this is very serious. I've been writing about this in my commentary out of the box for quite some time. Mm-hmm. I think the uh, situation in uh, Italy is uh, denigrated substantially. And uh, you basically what you have are two Groups. One is the Five Star uh, Party. The other one is this uh, League coalition. Between the two and uh, Mr. Berlusconi's group, they have about sixty-nine percent of the parliament. Um, The uh, current president of Italy refused to uh, accept their ministers for their government, basically centering on the finance minister, minister, which he thought was uh, too anti-euro. I guess you would say. Right. And now there's a big. A motion. They're talking. Uh, the Five Star uh, Movement has suggested that they should impeach the president. Um, the League Coalition uh, and the Five Star Movement have called for new elections in Italy, possibly as early as July. So,
0: is this the, the beginning of the end? Ant- like, uh, what do you expect to happen here, Mark? And what are you doing as an investor? Is there some play here that you're finding?
2: Well, I've said. All year long, the big short was probably European uh, sovereigns. I think mm-hmm. that's turning out to, to be correct. Basically, what you have is the periphery nations got just slammed today. The uh, 10-year Italian yield was down almost three and three quarters points at uh, yield now 3.13, which is for the first time in quite a while higher than the American yield. Right. And you have the equity markets over there. Um, The main uh, Milan uh, Italian market was uh, off almost 2.5 percent, 2.65 percent, I'm sorry, down 581 points. I mean, it has really gotten messy. If they impeach the president, which means that there will be uh, virtually no government, no technocrat government installed, uh, it's going to get incredibly uh, serious. And I think there's a decent shot that they might do that.
3: And, and Mark, you know, one of the things that may be getting lost here is how important Italy is to the European economy and the global economy, both from just a broad economic perspective but also from a sovereign debt perspective, as you're alluding to. What's the, what's the global concern here? Why should people who aren't directly exposed to Italy be worried?
2: Jason, the uh, issue centers around not Italy as a standalone nation, but Italy as uh, the third-largest economy in the European Union. Both the uh, Five Star Movement and the League coalition have been very unfriendly towards uh, uh, the European uh, Union. Um, what they want to do in terms of their social programs would their debt-to-GDP ratio is already 133 percent. It'd probably gap out to someplace around 155 to 160%, which is just shy of Greece's 180% debt to GDP. What the European Union did, and this is my opinion, is basically bought out Greece. I mean, they right. lent them money, they lent through the ECB, they lent the Greek banks money that then turned around and lent money to the country. Uh, here you have a problem. Uh, That's far too big. Uh, Europe can't afford to bail out uh, Italy, and so you're not going to arrive at the same uh, place. Uh, This is a serious problem for the entire construct, especially with uh, Britain involved in Brexit and heading out the door. And uh, we could honestly see uh, Italy doing the same thing just by refusing the diktats that would come out of Brussels.
0: So... George Soros has talked about another financial crisis uh, of the sort, and he's, he talks about you know his short position, certainly, when it comes to Europe. Is this where this is going, in your view? Are you ready to write that column that says, okay, folks, here it is. Here's our next financial crisis.
2: I think uh, I've, I've been warning for more than a week, Carol, as I'm sure you yeah. know, that we're getting close to that, and now we've arrived there Um uh, Even in America right now, we're down almost 500 points, 482 points as I speak. The bonds, uh, the 10-year is up significantly at a 279. This is affecting things globally. The other big issue is going to be the dollar. It's now at 1.1537. It's up significantly versus the euro, and I think it's going to go up even more. So we're seeing a massive risk off, if you will, but we're also seeing – Um, places not to be, and uh, I've said a number of times in my commentary Mm -hmm. uh, to get your money out of Europe, and that's all coming true now.
3: And Mark, about 30 seconds left. Put this in even more global context, if you can, against the backdrop of a potential trade war uh, between the U.S. and China. How much does this all play together?
2: Well, the trade war with the U.S. and China, I I think – is going to be placated, meaning that I think they're going to come to some terms and conditions. The, the tariffs is applied to Europe, uh, I think, are very problematical and may cause even the main uh, European countries, France and uh, Germany, to have... Uh, additional thoughts, and and I think this is a, quite a serious situation. I wouldn't be taking it lightly.
0: Yeah, and you have been writing about it throughout the year already, Mark. Thank you so much, Mark Grant, Managing Director, Chief Global Strategist at B. Riley FBR. As we mentioned, he's a Bloomberg prophet, so you can check out his stuff on the Bloomberg.
1: So the
3: on the Bloomberg says it all. Trump plows ahead on China tariff threats and investment curbs. This has been back and forth. We're talking about $50 billion of Chinese goods, duties on those to take effect next month. Here to make sense of it all with us is Andrew Maeda. He joins us from our Washington, D.C. Bureau. He's our global trade and economy reporter. Andrew, great to be with you. Glad to be here. So help us make sense of this all. Where do we stand right now after all these twists and turns about the back and forth between China and the US over uh, tariffs on trade.
4: Yeah, well, I think the the bottom line is that it looks like a trade war is back on the table for the Trump administration. Uh what they announced today is that uh, they will move ahead with plans to impose tariffs on up to $50 billion of Chinese goods. They're also going to go ahead with plans to restrict uh, Chinese investments in in the U.S. Uh, There was some uh, uncertainty about whether the president would follow through with that. If you recall, uh, Stephen Mnuchin, after the latest round of talks, the Treasury Secretary said that the trade war was on hold. He said that the tariffs were going to be on hold. uh, And now the Trump- the The President essentially saying that this is back on so
0: i 'm confused because all right, this has been going back and forth right since I think March or so, but he also um, slapped an additional one hundred billion dollars in tariffs on Chinese good, yet we haven 't yet heard from u s officials on what that list of target products is. So I'm, I'm really confused about kind of where we are. Is this just normal back and forth trade talk, you know, tough, be really tough, and then back off a little bit? or, or I, I don't know. How do we make sense of it?
4: I think that people just have to accept that volatility is the norm right now uh, with respect to President Trump's trade policy. I mean, I think part of it, uh, as you point out, probably has to do with uh, Donald Trump resorting to some of the, the strategies and tactics that he used as a, as a real estate uh, executive. I mean, this is the art of the deal in some ways. Well, uh, it's so I, funny I, that you
0: say yeah. that. I just... <laughs> just Googled Art of the Deal major themes. Jason and I have done a story from Business Week um, talking about how the North Korean le- leader has probably read the book as well and is kind of taking pages from his book in his negotiations uh, with President Trump. And I'm just, is this the book just playing out again when it comes maybe to China? It's on, maybe it's on President <laughs>
3: Xi's nightstand as well. Yeah,
0: exactly.
4: Um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's part of it. Uh, you know, I spoke to a trade expert uh, recently who said, you know, maybe we should just take the president at his word when he says he likes tariffs. (laughs) <laughs> Everything seems to start from that point. I mean, the, the president has a preference for using tariffs as a tool of trade policy. Now, then what ends up happening is that, uh, you know, the U.S. runs into difficulties when it tries to implement those tariffs or when it tries to use them as leverage in negotiations. So a big reason that we're seeing this announcement today, for example, is that the president's been coming under a lot of political pressure right. in Washington from both sides of the aisle for – being seen to be soft on a Chinese telecommunications company called ZTE. And that's probably a big reason why he's coming out with this statement. He's ramping up the pressure on China, partly to appease uh, Republican lawmakers in particular. And it also comes just a few days before he sends his commerce secretary to Beijing for talks.
0: I also wonder how North Korea plays into all of this.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Uh I mean, China is uh North Korea's biggest uh political patron. Uh no peace deal with uh, Kim Jong-un is going to happen without China's consent. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if the US is pressing uh is if the US is threatening a, a trade war with with, with China uh, simultaneously, uh, it's difficult to see how they could work out a a, a peace deal, but but as 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 I think you referenced, I mean you know the, the the talks on a on a North Korea trade deal are also in flux. So there's a lot of volatility here. To go back to what I said, I mean I think investors, I think people watching this closely uh, will have to buckle in because I think that this is going to go on for for many months.
3: And Andrew, about thirty seconds left here. What exactly are we talking about, or do we know in terms of the the products? that are at play. I've sort of read about, you know, flat screen TVs, some medical devices, but, but do we have a real sense of what's, what's in play?
4: Yeah. So the administration has released a list of the $50 billion in, in Chinese uh, goods that will be hit with tariffs. So you're right. Uh, flat screen TVs are on there. Some, some uh, consumer goods, such as uh uh, mobile phones are, are, are actually not on there, mm-hmm. but this is pretty sweeping. Uh, it probably is going to take effect uh, around the middle of next month, and uh, we haven't seen the list of products be targeted uh, for the $100 billion in additional tariffs that the that the president uh, proposed. So, um, I mean, I guess if there's a silver lining for, for consumers and for right. uh, retailers, it's, uh, they haven't gone that far.
0: All right. Andrew Maeda, thank you so much. Global trade and economy reporter at Bloomberg News. Come together. We do have some deal news on this Tuesday. GAB Holding, they already own Panera Bread, Au Pan, bon Pain, Pete's Coffee, Krispy Kreme Donuts. Well, they're now adding to the menu, acquiring pret manger from Bridgepoint Advisors for about $2 billion, at least according to a person familiar with that matter. Let's get some thoughts on the deal. Back with us is Eric Gordon, professor at Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan. Eric joining us on the phone from Ann Arbor, Michigan. So it's a food deal. It's like adding to the menu here. Um, this deal makes sense to you?
1: Oh, this is some huge menu. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I I think this one does uh, because uh, it helps them, oddly enough, with their coffee business. Coffee. You know, coffee and Pret. You know, I I think of Pret as more healthy stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, JAB has, in fact, put together this coffee empire you've described. Pete's, Caribou, Corig, Corig Cups. Along with Deb Master Blenders and companies whose names I don't, I don't even know what kind of coffee it is, Uh, and and coffee is is really profitable. So if they can expand the coffee business, if they could sell, you know, for example, Pete's Coffee or Caribou Bagged Coffee, in the Pret stores, uh, that would that would make a lot of money for them.
3: And and Eric, why is coffee such a good
1: business? Yeah, that's a great question. Coffee is one. It's profitable, it's really profitable. Even when you use high-end beans, it's still, you know, it's still mostly water and some high-end beans, and it's not labor-intensive to do.
0: What's the margin on a cup of coffee? I, I'm always curious about that. I'm, I'm a, I'm a cheapskate, and I, I drink the Bloomberg <laughs> coffee, um, which is really good, by the way. But I don't go down to Starbucks and spend. I don't know what is it, Jason, four, five, six dollars. Yeah, it's
3: about that. I yeah, do. Yeah. I do what, go down to Do it.
0: we, do, <laughs> Eric? What's the margins on, on a cup of you coffee? Know,
1: so depending on who you are, what kind of beans you're using, it can be sixty percent to eighty-five percent. Wow. So it's. Uh, it, and, you know, it's one of the few bright spots in food and beverage. Think about what's going on in food and beverage. I, I mean, it's just terrible. I mean, Campbell's Soup, in trouble. CEO, retired. Mondelez, in trouble. Uh, CEO, retired. There, there aren't a lot of things that are working. Coffee, coffee does work. And JAB, the this outfit that bought Pret, is in sort of the global... Global tug of war. It's sort of China, U.S., but in the coffee business, it's between JAB and Nestle from Switzerland. So, JAB is still not as big as Nestle, but it's it's trying to get there.
3: So, Eric, you've been looking at private equity for a long time, and I'm always fascinated to understand why private equity firms are buying and why they're selling. And in this case, uh, you've got a seller. Uh, JAB in some ways feels like a private equity outfit to me. You can, you can tell me whether that's right or not. But what, what are the economics here from a private equity perspective?
1: Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think JAB is sort of half private equity firm, half sort of food conglomerate. Uh, but it's, it acts very much like a P.E. firm. So you sort of have a pass off from one to another. And the idea with a P.E. firm is uh, Bridgepoint, the name of the P.E. firm that uh, owns Pratt. Incidentally, trivia point, um, they bought part of it from McDonald's. McDonald's owned about a third of Pret at one time and sold out to Bridgepoint. So the idea is you buy a company and you do one of two things with it. You change it operationally. You you save money or you expand it. In, in this case, they expanded the company. They didn't fire people. That's the other P.E. thing. Um, or you do financial engineering where you load it up with debt. Well, in, in this case, they expanded the company made it uh, be worth a lot more. And then at some point, the P.E. firm has to sell it, even though it's a perfectly good company, right. because the P.E. firm has to give the money it used to buy the company back to the people who gave the money to the P.E. firm.
3: And is your sense right now – I mean, certainly this is – I feel like what we're hearing, that we're valu- with valuations being what they are, the smart private equity firms are probably more sellers than than buyers, at least at the moment. Does that drive yeah. with what you're hearing?
1: Yeah, you know, if you're a PE person, uh, when the prices are high, you're happier about what you sell than what you have to buy.
3: And, and yet they've got a lot of money, a lot of the proverbial dry powder sitting there uh, waiting to be invested.
1: Yeah, so you know you're forced to buy stuff and keep your fingers crossed that you can do something internally at the company to make it worth even more than the high price you just paid for it.
0: Well, I'm also curious, like, who else has to do some kind of move at this point? You mentioned Nestle and J. B. you know, becoming a bigger challenge to Nestle at this point. They, of course, own the Nespresso coffee brand. uh, And you did have Nestle, was it? Recently, last month, this month, um, paying more than $7 billion for the right to market Starbucks products from beans to capsules. So that's a marketing deal, it seems like, and who knows if that goes much further. Who else has to do something as a result of this, or who might do something as a result of this move by GJAB? Yeah, so I
1: think the coffee thing, uh, you know, it would be interesting. Who else is big in coffee? Mm. Uh, Dunkin' Donuts is very big in coffee. They're not very glamorous in coffee, but uh, they sell a lot of it. So does McDonald's, but McDonald's isn't going to be in place. So, you know, keep your eye on Dunkin' Donuts. But I think any of the food companies, look, look over at the Krispy Kreme, the Panera brand, uh, Einstein Bagels, uh, look at some of the other companies that are involved with JAB, and then look out there and say, wow, you know, who's, who's kind of hurting? What will Mondelez sell off? What will Campbell's sell off? Uh, you know, they bulked up and bought a bunch of stuff, hasn't worked. So when you buy stuff and it doesn't work, then you turn around and you sell the stuff back out into the market. It's, it's heaven for the investment bankers.
0: I mean, I'm also wondering about something like a Coca-Cola or a Pepsi or something as they're watching, you know, people doing, you know, drinking less soda or not as an interest. You know, do we continue to see some, you know, we've already seen pivots by both of those companies. But do they even pivot even more? Should they?
1: Yeah, I think they have to because I, I think. Uh, they're going to see even lower sales of their stuff that's basically high fructose corn syrup and fizzy water. So I I think they will be acquirers. Interestingly, Coca-Cola is huge in canned coffee. Right. Right. In Japan. In Japan.
0: Right. And they've been doing stuff with Ely, haven't they, for a while? Yeah. 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 So, you know, I, I think...
1: You know, they, they will be buyers, not not they don't have they won't be selling. They will be in the market buying more of the drinks that are acceptable. Which is kind of a crack up because uh, you know, the, the the coffee is actually usually bought in a form yeah. that has three times as much calories as a can of coca-cola and it costs three times as much but we can do it because it's socially acceptable in a way we can't do if we're walking around with a can of soda
0: no judgment calls here That's no true. judgment all right M- Mr. Gordon thank you Eric Gordon professor at the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan joining us on the phone from Ann Arbor Michigan.
3: Carol, you know when you read a story or you hear something and you think, that is true. I've been seeing that all <laughs> along. There's a great story about – right along those lines uh, today on the Bloomberg, startups colonized New York subway pricing out plastic surgery ads. And what it's about <laughs> is this idea that if you're sitting on the subway or standing on the subway, you're seeing all these hipster brands right, and not – The plastic surgery ads that were candidly kind of creepy for so, so long. I've been
0: reading these for a while, right? They're all over the place. They're
3: all over the place. So to break it down for us, we've got Garrett DeVink. He's a technology reporter. He joins us from our Detroit Bureau. Garrett, thank you for this excellent story. Tell us what's happening on our subways.
5: Well, uh, yeah, I mean, we're, if you're in New York or if you visited recently, I mean, you've seen it. I mean, if, even if you've visited in the last couple of years. So, you know, obviously, New York Subways have kind of been the home of, you know, plastic surgery uh, surgeons and, uh, you know, 1-800-divorce type ads for for years, for decades. And, you know, a few years ago, some of the startup brands in New York that were very consumer-focused, so if you think about brands like Seamless Food Delivery or Oscar, the health insurer, they decided, you know, let's take a gamble on this and, and kind of go big on subway ads. And at that point, it was still pretty cheap. I spoke to one CEO that bought uh, what they call a brand train. So that's about 500 500 trains, about 10% of the subway. You get it for a month. You fill half of each car with your ads. And he got that for $50,000. It's going for for $350,000 now.
0: Wow! And I have to say, when they do that, Jason, like when they put them all around and they have like different different lines like I find myself looking around the subway uh, card to kind of read all of it I want to check out the whole campaign because I just find it interesting
3: I, I know and, and it is interesting too and Garrett you pointed this out in your story that you are crowding out I mean that this trend is, is crowding out you know not just the plastic surgeons but <laughs> you know one of my favorites is Manhattan mini storage and I ha- as right. a brave fan I have to read this to the detriment of probably <laughs> our viewers one of their one of their uh, lines was widely a city that has six professional sports team and also the mets i mean i'm gonna miss Ouch. those in favor of the Ouch. you know casper mattresses but so where does this go from here garrett
5: yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's the price has still gone up, right? I mean, I, I spoke to one who bought in December; it was two hundred fifty thousand. Like I said, now if you want to buy for next December, it's you know a hundred grand more than that. So, you know, it, it still seems to be something that's worth it for these companies. They're all, you know, the ones that are doing it are highly capitalized. They've just you know coming off of ten or fifteen million dollar venture capital rounds. You know, some critics are saying, you know, it's a typical sign of startup exuberance. They're you know spending their money away. They can't measure the real impact. But the CEOs who do this say that you know there's a it's a real rite of passage for them and it 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 also shows you know gets them in front of journalists like ourselves and also maybe people (laughs) that they want to hire right i mean if you're an engineer and you're looking to decide which startup you want to work for if it looks like they've got a solid presence in the subways you know it it gives them a sort of added you know kind of sense of credibility
3: Oh, go ahead. A, a, well, I was going to say I, it also tells you a lot, and you were alluding to this, Garrett, about the city where we live and work, in the sense that, as Garrett said, you know, you've got a certain type of person who's riding the subway. It's a more affluent commuter mm-hmm. candidly right. uh, in New York than you might find in Los Angeles, where everybody's in their cars, and also speaks to the increased prevalence of venture capital- backed companies and venture capitalists themselves that are here in New York City. Absolutely.
0: Well, I'm also curious, too, about what the ROI is on this. So they plaster, you know, the subway cars with these ads. Does it pay off?
5: It does because they keep doing it, right? And and it's definitely much, much harder to measure. And part of the thing that makes this story interesting is that we're in an age where you can go on Google or Facebook or Instagram and buy digital ads and you can sort of immediately measure exactly right. how how much ROI you get. But those are getting more and more expensive. You know, Instagram, Facebook, Google, you know, Facebook and Google are sort of this duopoly in the online advertising world. They control more than 85% of digital advertising in the United States. The prices for that is going up. And so, you know, counter to sort of the assumption that maybe, you know, traditional forms of advertising would die out in the digital age, you know, that's not the case.
0: I'm also wondering, too, all those digital ads. I don't know about you guys, but I just like I hit them, I click them and I get rid of them like right away. I'm just so tired of them.
5: Yeah, I mean, there's a certain sense of saturation, you know, and, 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 and we could say the same about what's going on in the subway now. But for the last couple of years, it has been a way to stand out and get, you know, media attention to get people, you know, tweeting
3: and even posting your ads on their Instagram, you know, without you having to pay for it. Garrett DeVink, thank you so much for bringing us this story. Uh, Garrett DeVink is a technology reporter for us. Uh, he joins us from our Detroit Bureau to talk about the New York City subway. I'm driving my
1: car.
3: How about
5: you let me drive?
3: Oh, no. No, no, no.
5: Who's going to drive you
1: home? Honey, please. I'll do the driving. Drive home. Excuse me. I want to drive.
2: Just drive, baby. Just drive, baby. It's the question that
3: drives us. We can reach
2: This is the drive to the close. That punk to music will drive us till the dawn on Bloomberg Radio.
3: Headed toward the close of quite the day the day back after a long weekend yeah. Carol Masser right uh, a day where stocks were moving a lot and moving down to give us some context we bring in JJ Kennahan he's the chief market strategist for TD Ameritrade they've got 1.1 trillion dollars in assets under management he joins us from Chicago JJ good to be with you always oh, great to be on guys how are you today very well. Exciting day on the markets, to say the least, or in <laughs> yeah. the markets. Uh, Italy obviously driving a lot. What, what do you make of how that played through today?
6: Well, you know, you, you see, I always call them sort of the three horsemen of risk, and that being bonds, the VIX, and gold. And you're seeing the VIX up, you know, pretty significantly, near almost 40%. Obviously, bonds had a huge move today, as you see the 10 uh, year rate actually flirting with 2.75%. But gold doesn't quite really get up there. So what that tells me, and one of the reasons I think is because people came in for the strength of the dollar and the strength of the yen is two, the two currencies people turn to during this crisis. So what it tells me is that this is a, a crisis that may affect stocks, may affect rates for a little while, but I don't think it's anything that long. at least the market views right now as long-term crumbling the foundation. I will say your your listeners who have exposure to Europe in terms of the companies they invest in and how much they do in Europe, they may want to take a look at are they ready for some of that exposure, but at least in the short term, uh it's, it's more of the – it was almost like they, they, everyone was tired of hearing about North America and Asia, and they said, hold on, don't forget about us here in Europe. We can cause problems too.
0: Well, talk to – you know, I always care about when there's these big macro things going on is, you know, fundamentally, what is Italy facing at this point? And that really determines, you know, what's going to be the environment certainly for Italian companies and kind of the broader uh, assets in Italy. What do you see when we talk about that, J.J.?
6: Well, you know, I I think the the other thing that I just want to make sure, Carol, I also added, don't forget about Spain. Mm -hmm. They have an election this Friday. They could change actually truly the political face of Spain from a more conservative government to one that's more socialist. So I think that that one may actually have more longer term ramifications uh... Than even even italy's does but you know we talked about this a few weeks ago in the italian election where you bought in a politician uh, somebody who didn't have any political background and because of that may have trouble getting support and we're kind of seeing exactly that happen so one of the things though that it means for uh, for us here is it puts the Fed in a very funny spot because we're all pretty convinced that at this meeting, you know, in a week and a half, they're going to go in and raise short-term rates. But in this, at the same time, long-term rates may remain under pressure as people want to keep their money in U.S. Uh, US treasuries that are a little bit longer dated. And so that may make a very uh, a very tough situation for the Fed because I think it takes away a lot of the inflationary pressures if the European economy slows down right. that we that they were
3: looking for. And, J.J., let's not forget, obviously, that part of this broader backdrop, also we look at what's happening in over in the eastern part of the world in right. Korea, uh, obviously talks on again, off again. How are you playing that through the investment thesis here?
6: Well, I, I think the, the the first thing you have to do is say, you know, uh, a lot of negotiation has been done in the press through Twitter, whatever it may be. Right. So you have to separate hyperbole from what's actually going on. And I think the biggest thing to do is to say, you know, are, are, am I more concerned about what, a, you know, the North Korea maybe on again, off again con. Conference, or am I more concerned about the fact that Disney had a terrible opening weekend for the Star Wars movie that missed by you know thirty million dollars? So I think you really have to sort of put what what plays well for twenty four hours news networks to what's actually affecting my investment decision.
3: That's a fair and point, be,
6: and it can be very listen for the people listening at home. I know it can be hard because you're bombarded with all this information, and I mean you guys do a great job of siphoning it through for people every single day. But I think you really have to focus. In as to what's affecting my personal investments, and shut out a lot of the other noise.
3: Well, that's exactly right, and it's, it, it's an interesting point you bring up. Disney follows up a, a weekend of disappointing Han Solo with a firing Roseanne Chaser. Uh, right. Not, <laughs> not a great, not a great day <laughs> no, for them. But, no, not a. Is not a Memorial Day cocktail? Right?
0: <laughs> no, but these are things that ultimately we're going to see probably play out. You know, when we get the next round of uh, of earnings, these are things that start to impact the top and bottom line in terms of revenues and so on and so forth. I should mention Disney shares. Now, I know we're in a down market, but they're down about 2.5% in today's trade. So, okay, I was curious too, JJ, if you had a bunch of investors coming back from the long holiday weekend, um, giving you guys up a call at TD Ameritrade, trying to figure out, okay, what does this stuff from Italy mean? You know, what do I need to do differently, if anything?
6: Well, I I think you actually brought up a a point that I I think is very important, and that is, I I know we're we're saying, okay, earnings are just ended, 97% of the S&P 500 companies have already reported, but... It's kind of interesting to me that it, one of the big moves we saw over the weekend that I think without Italy we would be talking about completely would have been the crude oil move. It's Great unbelievable mm-hmm. how fast energy went down. So you, you had companies talk about in this earnings season, oh, the price of energy is hurting us, price of energy is hurting us. I think that narrative is going to switch really quickly to the dollar so strong we can't compete overseas, and uh, it's kind of funny that those companies that were so uh, complaining so much about energy in their earnings calls aren't necessarily outperforming today. We heard Walmart talk about it a lot. You heard Caterpillar talk about it. John Deere talk about it. So I expected to see maybe those companies outperform today, and I'm not seeing it. So that tells me, hmm, you know, is the market saying energy is going to bounce back or is the market saying maybe it wasn't as big a thing as we thought? So, But the narrative I really want to pay attention to now is for those multinationals that compete overseas, will they start to talk about the strength of the dollar really being a headwind for them?
0: Yeah, we've seen the dollar move up dramatically from about mid-April. I'm just looking at the dollar index on the Bloomberg. It's been just kind of a straight-line move uh, to the upside. Hey, J.J., thank you so much. Appreciate it. J.J. Kinahan, chief market strategist over at TD Ameritrade. $1.1 trillion in assets under management on the phone from Chicago. Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to the radio show weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio.